Uh, today we, we change, we shift a little bit in our readings. This is the fourth Sunday of Easter. As Anglicans, we don't have just one Sunday that's Easter, but we have a whole season of Easter where we, we relish in our resurrected Jesus. And we, in the first few weeks, we have these examples of Jesus coming bodily and his glorified post-resurrection body to be with people. You heard a sermon about Thomas a couple of weeks ago and how Thomas is absent and has to see the, the scars and, the, and the, the, the wound in Jesus' side before he believes. Last week you heard about Jesus being on the beach with the disciples and again they have to be kind of coaxed onto the shore and then they realize who Jesus is. This week we shift and instead of talking more about these events of Jesus' resurrected life and him walking on the earth, we know he's observed by lots of people, 500 Paul tells us, at various locations. But now we go back and we re-examine some of the things that Jesus was talking about before his death and resurrection. And we begin to see them in light of his resurrection. And particularly what Jesus wants us to focus on, it seems, is... And by the way, this cushion is just bugging the heck out of me. There. Now I feel better. What, what Jesus wants us to focus on is his flock, his church, his people. And one of the metaphors, the ways Jesus likes to talk about his people, is to refer to them as his sheep. Sheep are not particularly smart animals, but they are very faithful animals, and they understand and follow the voice of the shepherd. This is actually traditionally known as Good Shepherd Sunday in the church. It's when we focus on the passages that reflect Jesus or God as the shepherd. God is revealed as the shepherd in the Old Testament, the Good Shepherd Ezekiel talks about the unfaithful shepherds, the under-shepherds who have who've neglected and abused the sheep. And sadly, I stand before you as a member of the clergy to say, if you've ever been wounded or hurt or driven from the church because of the, the activity or the actions of pastors or priests, I sincerely ask your forgiveness on behalf of those who have uh, wounded the sheep. But God says in Ezekiel 37... I will be their people. I will be their shepherd. I will shepherd my people. We have a, an amazing story in Revelation this morning. It reminds me of years ago back at St. Michael's where we were reading this Revelation passage that Rick read for us. And I actually had the congregation stand up and we, we stood left and right and forward and, and, and back. And we stood and we faced each other. And we said this passage you just read. We said the, the, the proclamation that was made by the angelic uh, choir along with the the multitudes we're told of every tongue tribe and nation that surround that will surround the throne of God and will cry out holy 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 it's the Lord God almighty who was and is and is to come and let me tell you that is such a powerful I still remember it vividly of doing that in church maybe we should do it again sometime and, and have everybody just visually stand and and face each other and sing this song and and recognize this is, the, this is the church at the end of the ages. These are the people of God. This is the flock, the sheep of God. The sheep, the sheep of the great good shepherd who have come together and are worshiping around the throne. And what does it say? The lamb who was slain has become their shepherd. Psalm 100 that David led us in singing talks about God being our shepherd. Jesus is the good shepherd. 
What a terrible, a terrible thing to hear. Jesus is interacting with these, these religious leaders at the temple in the Solomon's colonnade to hear, you do not believe because you are not my sheep. We want to be God's sheep, don't we? We want to be a part of his flock. And Jesus makes it clear that there are some who are his, of his flock and there are some who are not. But it's not, it's not that he's predetermined, you know, like in kickball in middle school when you knew if you were the captain, you knew who you were going to pick and who you weren't going to pick. It's not that kind of a deal at all. It's our choice whether or not we'll be included. But we have to become his sheep. We have to become his followers. Jesus says, my sheep know my voice. And I call to them and they follow me. And I will give them eternal life. And no one will ever snatch them from my hand. As we enter this, this second part of the season of Easter, I want to think with you uh, over these next few weeks about are we being the church? Are we being God's sheep? Are we being his flock? Are we listening to his voice? And are we, are we following where he leads us. That's very interesting, the, the historical placement of this story and what we're told in those cu- first couple of verses there. You, you notice that it says it's the feast of the dedication. Well, what is that? Well, you know this. I mean, almost all of you, if not all of you, know this Jewish holiday. Happens around Christmas time. Dreidels, spin a dreidel. What's the season? Hanukkah, right, Hanukkah. You know, you were afraid that you had the wrong answer, but you had the right answer. It's Hanukkah. But do you know the story of Hanukkah? Do you know where it came from? Well, back before Christ, back in the year 167 B.C., there was a Macedonian dynasty that that brought down, that's Macedonia, it's the country above Greece. They had a, a king that came down and he imposed foreign rule over the Jewish people and he forbid them from worshiping God. And so he did an abominable thing. He took the, a shrine of Zeus, you know, the Greek god Zeus, and he placed it in the temple in Jerusalem. And he forced the people to worship Zeus rather than worshiping God Almighty. I mean, can, is there anything more despicable than to think about that, uh, of, uh, of a, a Greek god being worshipped in the temple of Yahweh, God's temple? But God raised up some some heroes in that day, and the most famous of them is Judas of Maccabees, uh, Maccabus, who was who was the son of a of a priest that first began a revolt. And the Jewish people revolted against their overlords, and they overthrew them, and they they cleansed the temple, and they dedicated the temple back to God. And it is this feast that we know today as Hanukkah. Remember the famous. The idea that the oil didn't give out for eight days, the oil burned. Uh, to this day, if you go to, to the temple mound and you, you look up, the, the, the Israeli government has put a, um, it's, this, it's like a giant menorah and it, and it has like, I don't know what, I guess it's like propane, but it's forever burning, these, these flames burning, reminding us that God has, has cleansed his temple and he has cast out the fro- the. the foreign overlords so it is it's it's important that you know that Jesus is walking in Solomon's colonnade in the porch a section of the temple mound 
He's there at the Feast of the Dedication when everybody is thinking about Judas Maccabeus. Judas the Hammer who drove out this, this Macedonian dynasty that drove out the foreign oppressors and reestablished the temple. But Jesus isn't in the temple. It's interesting, in the chapter 8, verse 59, we're told that Jesus departs from the temple and nowhere else in John's gospel are we told that Jesus ever goes back into the temple. Well, why is that? He's in the colonnade, he's in this porch area, it's called Solomon's Porch, something that Solomon built onto the temple when he, you know, when, when, he, he, when he was creating it, he, he had this, it was a columned area. Jesus is known to go there quite a bit. He goes there to teach a lot. It is not in the temple. It is a place where Gentiles and Jewish people could go. It's outside of the Jewish court because, of course, obviously there was the place for uh, Gentiles to go and pray, though they could not go into the temple because they were not they were not Jewish, and yet Jesus is in this outer courts and he's teaching and he's surrounded by these religious leaders and they want to pin him down. Okay, here we are, Jesus. We're at the celebration of the rededication of the temple. We want to know, are you the Christ? Are you the Messiah or are you not? And Jesus says, I've told you, but you don't believe. Interestingly, the chapter 9, the chapter that's just prior to this chapter 10, which is all about Jesus the Good Shepherd, Jesus has taken a man who was born blind and he's given him sight. And you remember this, the, we, we used to read this passage, and I'm, I'm not sure, well, our new lectionary, we don't read it all. It was a very long passage, but, but this guy is, is born blind and, and the religious leaders go and, and, and they go to his parents and yes, this man was blind. Well, how come he can see now? Well, we don't know. Go ask him. He's old enough. They go ask the son. The son says, this guy that I don't really know who he is, he healed me and, you know, and, you know go ask him and, and this whole thing. And, and at the end, the, the man is cast out because he, he, is, he is, even though he's been healed, he's cast out of the temple. And, and they, they refuse to hear the testimony. And the, the blind man says this famous phrase at the end of the chapter. He says, he says, no one has ever heard of anyone healing a person who's been blind from birth, from the creation of the world. And yet this man has given me sight. Well, Jesus, who is creator of the world, who is the son of God, who spoke the world into existence... Jesus has, has blessed this man and given him the ability to see, and yet they can't, they can't distinguish it. They, they won't believe, and so they cast the man out. Jesus begins to build around him a group of followers, those for whom the, the shepherds of Israel have not cared for, in fact, have pushed out. But Jesus will collect all of these, all of these blind Bartimaeus and, and, and Mary Magdalene and all these outcasts begin to, to come and be drawn to Jesus. Jesus is teaching through this passage that he, in fact, is the new temple. No longer are we to go to the temple to find God. No longer is the temple where we seek forgiveness from God. Now it's all centered in the person of Jesus. This is what he, this is what he comes to proclaim. 
This is why Jesus doesn't go to the temple again. He's in the temple courtyard. He's near, but he doesn't go in because he's, he's beginning to reshape things. He's drawing all men to himself. He has become the new temple. Worship will center in Jesus Christ, not in a place, not in a temple, but in the person of Jesus, who he is. And this is what he's proclaiming. So this is why it's essential that we, we get that imagery. Jesus, in the whole of chapter 10, and what we get is in three different years, we, this Sunday we, we, we talk about different parts of chapter 10 because it's long, but Jesus proclaims himself to be the good shepherd, the divine shepherd who is gathering God's people together around himself. And this is the precursor of the church. This is what we are. We are the flock, the people who Jesus has called together. Jesus says, if you've not believed in me, you are not one of my sheep. But if you have believed, you are one of my sheep. And you are to hear his voice and follow where he leads. So very simply put, the work of the people of God is obviously to focus on Jesus and then to listen for his voice and to go where he calls us to go. That's it. Pretty easy, huh? Well, it's a little more complex than that, isn't it? I mean, look at, for instance, at Acts, the second, the, actually the first lesson you had, this Acts passage that Rick read, a little bit of a long passage. If you, if you don't recognize, basically this would be, a, it's a wonderful um, evangelical presentation of, of God's biblical worldview. This is how God has saved the world through the people of, of Israel, but ultimately through the coming of Jesus Christ in whose name you can receive forgiveness of sins is what Paul ends the passage. It's actually the moment in, in the book of Acts where Paul says, okay, Jewish people, you do, you've rejected the gospel, the good news of Jesus that I bring. I will now go to the Gentiles. And the very next passage is Jesus going and beginning to proclaim to Gentiles, non-Jewish people, the, the, that Christ is the Messiah, the Lord of the whole world. But here in this passage, it's interesting, if you, if, I don't know if you call it or not, but there's a church that it, it, at the beginning of chapter uh, 13, we have a church and there's five leaders in, on that church staff. It's, it's uh, um, so I'm just going to flip over there real quick. I left my glasses at home, so it's very hard for me to see, but I believe it says it was in the city of Antioch. I'm pretty sure it says that. There were five leaders, and they were a diverse leadership team. Really cool. You got Barnabas, he's coming from Cyprus. You got Paul coming from Tarsus, which is like an Asia minor. You've got, uh, you've got Simon, who's, who's called Niger, probably referencing the fact that he's from Northern Africa. Perhaps, you know, uh, Northern Africa. It looks to be that to scholars. Then you've got this other guy, Manthian, who is a friend of Herod. Obviously, he's a, a Jewish person growing up in, in Jerusalem, so a, a Jewish person. And then you have this one other person whose name I can't read because of my no, not having glasses. But, but even, but, so you've got all five leaders of the early church, a diverse leadership team, and they're trying to be Jesus's flock. They're trying to be his sheep. And so what do they do? They, they, they pray and fast and they seek the Lord 
through the scriptures and through prayer. And they decide that what God has called them to do is to take two of the members of their leadership team and to send them out to do missionary work. Now, usually in our modern age, what happens is, you know, the senior staff don't leave. It's the junior guys that get blessed and sent out. I know a guy in another city, an Anglican priest, he's in his 60s, and his whole career has been bringing in younger pastors, and he brings them in for a couple years, and then he sends them out, and he keeps sending them out, which is the great work. But this is the reverse of that. Paul and Barnabas are sent out, and they go out and begin the missionary work that starts in Asia Minor and moves all the way around to eventually into Europe. It's, it's, it's this ongoing work of the church. We never can, can sit idle. We constantly have to be asking ourselves, are we hearing the voice of God and are we following him? And let me tell you, whenever I get a little bit of a distance from here, it gives me perspective and I think we're doing a pretty good job, but I don't want you to, to grow complacent. You see, the sheep need to continue to hear the voice of the shepherd and to lead where he, to follow where he leads us. It's so essential in our ministries. What do we say we are about? We're about making disciples, learning to do all that Jesus said. That's an active work of hearing his voice and then being led to where he goes. Sometimes it may be over to Greater Bethel, our sister church on the east side. Sometimes it may be people going to Bay County to do mission work. Sometimes it may be going to Grace Marketplace or into Littlewood Elementary School. But we want to always be a group of people who are, who are listening for the voice of Jesus and then following where he calls us to lead. We're blessed that, that uh, I think we're unified under our leadership. And the, the rector and the staff and the, the vestry are, are, I think, on the same page. And, and you seem to have confidence in us that we're leading. But, but don't go complacent in that. Notice that when Paul's talking to the, to the Jewish authorities in Acts chapter 13, he says, he says you didn't understand that G, who Jesus was, even though the scriptures were read week by week. You see, we all have to be continually feeding on the word of God. And in prayer, are we hearing the voice of the good shepherd? Or are we, you know, we heard it three years ago, and we're, we're assuming he's still saying the same thing he was saying three years ago, and we just keep moving in the same direction, right? That could be dangerous. We need to make sure we're, we're continually coming back and listening to what the Lord is saying. And sometimes, just like in the church at Acts 13, he may, he may call us to do some unconventional things. Not apart from his word, but just in the way we would think about things. The sheep hear my voice and they follow me. We want to be that kind of a congregation. We constantly want to be listening and being led and following where the Lord is taking us. Well, this morning, I, I want to, uh, I just want to, I want to leave us in this place of, uh, again, the next few weeks are going to be an opportunity to, to really 
consider how we are being the people of God, the sheep of his, of his flock. And I think listening and following are key components that we're called to recommit ourselves to. Ken Bailey is a, uh, is a New Testament scholar who lived in the Middle East for uh, um, 30-something years. And he observed Middle Eastern culture. And what, what Ken Bailey's discovered was that, that Middle Eastern culture has not changed as rapidly as Western culture. And so you go to the Middle East, they're doing things that are not that different from what they were doing 2,000 years ago. Uh, particularly, he lived among some uh, Arab Palestinian Christian groups. And he, he observed that in the villages, there was always one appointed shepherd. The villagers would come together and say, this is going to be our shepherd. He's going to take care of our sheep. And then every village family had their own sheep and they would keep them in a pen in their house. And if you, if you've ever, if you haven't studied it, so basically the way their houses were structured, there was a lower level where they brought the animals in for safety at night. And then they would have an upper level where they, the family would sleep. And then in the morning at daybreak, the shepherd would come walking through the village and he would begin to call out. And my grandfather raised cows and uh, it wasn't a very poetic way of calling the cows. Uh, I don't know what way the shepherds called the cows, but called their sheep. But, but, but my grandfather, when he began to call out, his cows knew him and they would follow him right to the barn because they knew that he was taking them to get food or wherever he was taking them, leading them out to a new pasture. The shepherd would walk through town just like that. And then every villager would open their door and their sheep would come out and they would follow the voice of the shepherd and he would take them out to feed them and to water them, protect them, and then bring them back in. I, I just love that, that visual because that's what we are. We're, we're, we're God's sheep. And he keeps us in little pens, some Lutheran pens and some Presbyterian pens, Baptist pens and Episcopalian pens and Anglican pens and, and Catholic, Roman Catholic pens. But, but when the good shepherd comes walking through, he calls all the sheep together. Amen? And we are all his sheep. And we're one flock. And Jesus says that I have sheep that are not a part of this flock that may also must be called. And so it's a reminder to us that, that he calls us to follow him and to be unified. I don't know if you ever thought about it, but sheep singular and sheep plural is the same word in English. Isn't that crazy? Isn't that weird? I'm sure you can tell me other animals that are like that. Not right now, but, but, but it's important. Jesus says, I know my sheep by name. He's personally caring for each of us. And yet, he doesn't just have individual sheep. He has a flock of sheep. There's this corporate aspect to us that we're to see ourselves as a part of something much greater than ourselves. So are we listening for the voice of the shepherd? Are we following where he leads? Do we understand that we're a part of his one flock called to be together with the good shepherd? When we went to Bay County last week, we took 13 guys, 12, uh, 11 from our church and two from our mission congregation up in High Springs. 
And I frankly thought we needed like three or four different uh, properties to work on because we were going to blow through this work so quickly. You know, I had great confidence in our men. Kept telling John, well, you got to get that second or third property, you know, and uh, I, I was clueless because when we drove into Bay County, you could see so much devastation. Metal buildings wrapped up, Air Force Base just shredded, uh, people living in RVs with, with PVC pipes running to the sewer line. And, and I mean, there's, there are places where it it's, looks brand new. Things have been rebuilt. But many places, there's still so much to be done. It's overwhelming. And I began to dial down my expectations. And the house we went to was just one house. And it's what we spent our entire Saturday day doing until we were about to fall down with, with heat exhaustion. And all we were able to do is to work on this one house for a dear saint, an 88-year-old woman, Elaine Atkinson, who had served her church, was still serving her church. Her kids, her adult children were serving the church, and they had, they had run a children's program until this storm hit. Would you believe that their church was, was broken into, looted during the hurricane? And their pastors left. He just burned out. And good luck getting a new pastor. Who wants to move to Bay County and pastor a church? You know, all this devastation. It, it was really quite disheartening. And then the Lord began to give me this word. And the word was that we can't do a lot to bless Bay County or Panama City or even the area of Parker we were working in. But what we could do was bless this one family, grandmother, children, grandchildren, all adults living in different areas, all dis affected by the hurricane, displaced in some way, jobs or houses. Or, and, and all we could do was be a blessing to this one family. But through being a blessing to that one family, we can in fact be a blessing to the whole of Bay County. And what was amazing was is that we were working, neighbors would come over and they would thank us for being there and for caring for, not for their needs, but for the needs of this one, this one family. And then they reminded us that it has been the church and the church's response that has kept them in Bay County. Not the government, not the Red Cross, but the Christian church, the flock of God, Jesus' people responding. Friends, we, we are one congregation. We are one small sheep pen of Jesus' great flock. But what we're called to do is to go where he calls us and to follow him and to do the work that he gives us to do. Trusting the good shepherd to care for others that we can't reach. But are we listening and are we going and are we ministering to the people he has given us to do? That is the question we ask on this Good Shepherd Sunday. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, amen.